The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Love you guys. We're so thankful for you. Yeah, let's, let's put our hands together. Show some love for all the dads. God, he, he stirred my heart with this theme. Gosh, I was talking to a friend over a year ago, and I was asking him what he was getting ready to teach on. It was Father's Day, and he talked about the Father's blessing, and, and that just planted a seed in my heart. And ever since that day, I, I, I thought, you know, if I ever get the chance, I would love to do a sermon on the Father's blessing. And so um, today is that day. So if you have your Bibles, don't turn to John. We will get back to the Gospel of John, I promise. But tonight, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. And while you're turning there, since it is Father's Day, please forgive me in advance for this, but it's Father's Day. And I'm a dad, and I don't know how this happens, but um, you just, you get corny. And like, for me, I've embraced the dad joke gene. And so would it be okay if I just shared some dad jokes with you? I looked these up earlier today. Okay. Um, First one, how many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? Tentacles, tentacles. All right, how about this one? I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know which came first. When two vegans get in an argument, is it still called a beef? I like that one. Here's another good one. How do you follow Will Smith in the snow? You follow the Fresh Prince. Oh. All right. One more, one more. If you see a crime at an Apple store, does that make you an eyewitness? Okay, that's enough of that. Thank you for your, your laughter. The truth is, I really love jokes like that. So if you ever get any dad jokes, feel free to lay them on me. Um, so it's Father's Day. The title of my message is The Father's Blessing. And I just I want to start by um, maybe stepping back and uh, taking a wide-angle lens and, and thinking through what are some of the cultural perceptions of fatherhood. And in some ways, I think our understanding of what makes a dad or what makes a good dad, for that matter, it comes to us and is shaped by the images we see of dads in media and on TV. For instance, I was thinking about the way that fathers have been de- picked it on TV uh, over time and how that image has changed over the years. So if you go all the way back to the 50s and the 60s, dads on TV were usually portrayed as kind and warm and generous and wise. They always seemed to have good advice and they knew just what to say at just the right time. At that time, shows like Father Knows Best were popular on TV. But then in the 80s and the 90s, the era that I grew up in, things started to change. And so did the way that fathers got portrayed on TV. At that time, if you watch TV, dads were portrayed as these bumbling fools and idiots. Guys like Ward Cleaver gave way to Homer Simpson. If you ever watched The Simpsons, Homer was the dad. He was always drunk and clueless. And in some ways, I guess that depiction revealed the prevailing cultural view of dads. 
Dads were basically seen as these clueless guys who didn't know what was going on or didn't have a clue about anything. Now, thankfully, in more recent years, things have started to change as science and research have irrefutably shown the importance and the value of a father figure in the family. Countless studies in this field have confirmed that having an involved dad in the picture leads to better outcomes in almost every conceivable category. So let me just throw some statistics at you. One article I was reading said that children who grew up with involved fathers are 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school, 45% less likely to repeat a grade, 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, twice as likely to go to college and find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, and 80% less likely to spend time in jail. So obviously the benefits are noted and noteworthy. And by the way, don't, if you're a single mom here, if you're in a home where you're growing up without a dad, don't in any way hear this as a slight on you. I think you guys are rock stars and we love you and we support you and we're there for you. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we have a need, a real need in our community for men, for father figures, for male role models to step up and to assume their God-given role within the home. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, as I'm sure nearly all of you know, I was, I was blessed, I was lucky to grow up in a home with a really great dad. And he was by no means perfect, but he loved me. I knew he loved my sister. He did a great job of loving my mom. And he always pointed us to Jesus. And, and maybe that's your story, too. You grew up in a godly home. And if you had a godly dad, just count your blessings. But as you know, not everyone is that lucky. Maybe you had a horrible dad. And because of that, you've always struggled with this picture of God as a loving, heavenly father. And it's, it's hard for you to, to reconcile that because of the experiences you had growing up. For others of you, you grew up in a home where dad was just a big blank space and there was no father figure in your life. And so for your whole adult life, you've grown up with this blank space where God the father should be. And you've had a void in your heart because of that. And what I want to share with you tonight is that God is a good, good father. And regardless of the kind of earthly father that you had, whether he was great or whether he was evil, we all know that none of our fathers were perfect. And so at the end of the day, all of us could, could deepen our understanding of this concept of the fatherhood of God. And so that's what I hope to do tonight. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as father a total of 13 times. And, and in each instance, he is the father of the nation of Israel. However, when you come to the New Testament, this concept of God as father, it becomes a central theme and it undergoes a radical shift. You see, Jesus, he referred to God as his father 175 times. It was his favorite delineation for who God is. In many of the stories that he would tell, he would refer to God as father. So for instance, we all are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. 
And in that classic story, perhaps Jesus' most famous parable, he depicts the father figure who is a picture of God and how the, God, the, the father goes to great lengths to restore his wayward son. And so God is depicted as a father. And it's one thing for Jesus to relate to him as father. But, but what is really staggering is that Jesus then taught his disciples, and by extension, us, that we too should relate to God as our Father. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, I want you to say, our Father who art in heaven. Who is God? He is our Father. And he is a loving and merciful and gracious and kind and compassionate father. So if you grew up with a great dad, a godly dad, then at best your dad was able to give you a glimpse of the heart that your heavenly father has for you. But if you grew up with a horrible, evil monster of a father, then God wants you to know that he is nothing like your father. In fact, he is everything that your father wasn't. He is everything that your father was supposed to be for you. And if you grew up without a dad, God wants you to know that he's a father to the fatherless. With all of that serving as a backdrop to our story tonight, let's go ahead and jump into our text as we see this vignette where God the Father speaks into and over the life of his son, Jesus. Look with me at Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So our story begins with Jesus making his way to John, the baptizer, to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. And as we've seen in our studies through the Gospel of John, this guy named John the Baptist was a colorful character. And he showed up just prior to Jesus' ministry. And in many ways, he ushered in the ministry of Jesus. He called on the nation of Israel to repent and to then be baptized as a symbol of their repentance. John's was a ministry of preparation. He was sent as a forerunner to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming Messiah. And I'm sure the last thing that he ever expected was for Jesus to walk up to him and ask to be baptized. In fact, when Jesus did it, John protested. You saw it. He said, no, no, no. I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus was persistent. And so eventually, John relented, and he baptized Jesus. And then note, when Jesus comes up out of the water, several supernatural phenomena occurred in the heavens. The first thing that John tells us, or rather Matthew here, is that the heavens were opened. Can you imagine that scene? It's the very 
heavens. I mean, there is, there is the earth, and then there's the, the canopy above us of the sky, but then there is this invisible spiritual realm, and if God were to give us eyes to see and remove the scales from our eyes, we would see heaven above us, beautiful, glorious, angelic beings, and God the Father. And, and so the heavens parted. That was the first supernatural thing that happened. The second thing that happened is John saw a dove come down. It was the picture of the spirit. And it came, and it alighted or landed on Jesus. In fact, if you were to read this same story in John's gospel, it tells us there that the dove landed on him and remained with him, which is just, to me, a really beautiful concept. I mean. We know that doves are skittish creatures. It doesn't take much for them to be frightened and fly away. And, and just in the natural, I grabbed this, this uh, tissue right before I walked on the stage. And let's pretend this tissue were, were a dove. In the natural, if a dove landed on your shoulder and you didn't want that dove to fly away, it's really windy up here, how would you walk? And the answer is, you'd have to walk really carefully, right? Every step with the dove in mind. And as believers, the dove is a picture, a type of the Holy Spirit. And we host the presence of God. And, and what a beautiful picture and reminder that is to us that we're to walk each and every step of our lives mindful of the presence. We are stewarding, hosting the presence of the Spirit of God. And so the, the dove lands on Jesus. That's the second supernatural thing that happened that day. And then the third supernatural thing that happened that day is this voice boomed from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. By the way, Notice how all three members of the Godhead, the Trinity, are involved and present at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is just getting ready here to launch his public ministry. It's a big event in the life of Jesus. And so I think it's fitting that the Father and the Spirit should be there. I mean, let's just take a note of that. Good dads are there for important events in their kids' lives. Amen? They don't send substitute, substitutes or miss it because they have other stuff going on. They show up. And so God the Father is a great dad, and he shows up on an important day in his son's life. But before we go any further, I think we need to address this question. Maybe it was rumbling around in your mind as we read through the story. Like, why does Jesus get baptized at all, right? I mean, if John's baptism is all about repentance, then why get baptized? And here's the answer. Jesus went through the rite of baptism in order that he might identify with us, that is, humanity. Think about what baptism is and what baptism symbolizes. This past Thursday, we just went down to La Jolla Shores, and we dunked a bunch of people in the water. And I mentioned how my daughter was one of those who got baptized. And the night before the baptism, I was talking with her because she had told me she wanted to be baptized the next day. And so I just wanted to make sure she understood what it meant. And so we were having conversation about that. And during that conversation, we talked about how baptism is, is a picture of identification. Okay, And so I'm trying to break that down for an eight-year-old's mind. And I was saying, you know how you go down into the water and then you come up out of the water? 
It's you identifying with Jesus because Jesus was buried in the tomb and he laid there for three days and then he came up and he conquered death. And so you're identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. So it's about identifying with him. And in the same way that we identify with Jesus, he identifies with us. He came down and he lived this life as a man. He put on flesh and bones in, and he absorbed all of humanity. And that's what his baptism was all about. Now we can dive in and look more closely at the words that God the Father spoke over Jesus as he came up out of the water. And, and as we do that, I want you to think about this statement and the significance of the timing of this blessing. I mean. Think with me. When God says, this is my son, I'm so pleased with you and everything that you're doing, when did he make that declaration? How much ministry had Jesus done at this point? How many miracles had he performed? The answer is none. Nada. Zilch. Nothing. That's significant. Before Jesus ever preached a single sermon, before he taught a single Bible study, before he healed a single sick person or walked on water or turned water into wine or fed multitudes or raised anyone from the dead, God, even at that moment, expressed his love for his son and declared his pleasure with him. And in doing that, as he bestows his blessing on Jesus, before he could earn it, the Father wanted to illustrate something important to us about this thing called the Father blessing, and it's this that his blessing on our lives isn't a response to our performance, but instead it is something that is sourced in his grace. And listen, it's so important that you get this and understand it, that God's love for you has nothing to do with what you've done, has nothing to do with what you could earn, has nothing to do with what you've merited or achieved in life. His love for you is rooted and based instead in the fact that you belong to him. Let me put it like this. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand real quick. Why do you love your kids? Simplest answer, because they're mine, right? That's why I love my kids. It's not because of what they can do for me. Lord knows they don't do much. I love them with my whole heart for the simple fact that they're mine. And it's good to be reminded that God's love for you works the same way. And I think the thing that makes this difficult for us is when you look around at society, everything about the culture we live in is performance oriented. In many ways, we determine a person's value or worth based on what they produce. And you can see this play out in almost every stage of life. Right? Once you finish school, you get your high school diploma, and you're getting ready to go on to college, what do you do? You, you send your prospective college, your transcripts, and your grades, and your test scores, and you say, is this good enough? Did I do enough for you to accept me? And then four years later, when you graduate from whatever college you go to and you're looking for a job, you go through that process again, and you hand your prospective employer your resume, and that it touts all of your education and your history and your experience, and you say, have I done enough? Will you accept me because of what I've done? 
And then this bleeds over and it affects the way that we view our relationship with God. And so we think that God accepts us based on what we do for him. But that is simply not the case. In Christianity, God doesn't accept us because of what we can do for him. But rather, he accepts us based solely on the fact of what his son Jesus has done for us. Somebody say amen to that. The Bible says it like this. This is John 1.12. To as many as received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. So as you receive him into your life, you are ushered into his family. Now, let's look at the nature of this blessing, the nature of the blessing. The first thing that God says to Jesus is, you are my son. In saying that, God confers upon Jesus the blessing of identity. Identity. You are my son. Then he says next, whom I love. And in saying that, he confers on him the blessing of affection. So this is my son, the blessing of identity, whom I love, the blessing of affection. And then the third thing he says, with you I am well pleased. And in saying that, he confers on him the blessing of affirmation. I'm so pleased with you. I'm so proud of you. And by the way, dads, tune in here. Those are three things that every kid needs to hear from their father. Kids need to be reminded of who they are, especially in today's world. There's so much confusion out there in the world today surrounding this topic of identity. Kids need to be taught about who they are and whose they are and where they come from. Kids also need to know that they're loved. They need to be reminded continually that, oh, I love you so much, and you are, you are so precious to me, and you are such a gift from heaven, and oh, I just love you. They need to hear it. They need to experience it. You need to express it, and they need to feel it. And then the third thing that kids need from us dads is they need to be affirmed. Dads, they need to hear from you how proud you are of them. And they need to hear that they're doing a good job. And sometimes I think as dads, we, we mistakenly think that, you know, because we feel those things, we've communicated them. Uh-uh, it doesn't work like that. You have to say it out loud. And so often we get busy and we assume people know how we feel. And this story reminds us, no, that those things need to be audibleized. They need to be verbalized. They need to be vocalized. In his book, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge talks about the one question that strikes at the heart of every young person. And it's this, do I have what it takes? To put it another way, dad, do you believe in me? And one of our jobs as fathers is to cheer our kids on, to let them know that we are in their corner and that they have been equipped by God with everything that they need to fulfill their calling in life. And so that's what we see in this blessing that God the Father speaks over his son, Jesus. It's, a, it's a, something that has its roots that run deep throughout all of the history of God's people. In fact, going all the way back to the Old Testament, the father blessing is a very prominent and important motif. In the book of Genesis, for instance, we find Abraham, the patriarch of our faith, pronouncing his blessing over his son Isaac. 
And then in turn, Isaac, towards the end of his life, takes his son Jacob and speaks a blessing over his son Jacob. And then Jacob, towards the end of his life, he speaks blessing over all 12 of his sons. And in each one of those instances, the blessing involved words of encouragement, affirmation, meaningful physical touch, as well as a prophetic declaration from the dad concerning things that he saw in his children. And we get to do the same thing with our kids. Did you know that you can speak life over your kids? You can, as a father, your words have influence, they have authority, and they have God-given power. And when you look at your child in the eyes and you lay your hand on their head or perhaps on their shoulder and you speak over them and you pray blessings on them and you ask for God's favor to come down and rest upon them and you pull out of them, you know what? God, he made you so uniquely and you have these incredible gifts and I could see God using that in your future. You are prophesying and leading them into the future that God put them on this earth to fulfill. What a privilege that is. In fact, the word bless there that we speak of, this, this idea of blessing, it comes from the Hebrew word baruch. And it means to congratulate, to praise, to tell the greatness of, or to tell the wonder of. I like that. When you bless your kids in this way, you're placing your seal of approval on them, and you're telling them what a wonder they are, how great they are. Hmm. And maybe you received that from your father. And if so, what a treat, what a, a blessing that is. But ultimately, none of us escapes adolescence unwounded. Each of us carries a, within us a father wound. And I, I want to talk about that. Because as a father, our words, as I just mentioned, have tremendous power. But what can ever, whatever can be used for good can also be used for evil. And maybe you were on the receiving end of some of those curses. We've all seen that kid who walks around with slumped shoulders and downcast eyes, and his father is publicly berating him and belittling him or her or demeaning them. And when a father's blessing is withheld, when he never says, I love you, and when he never uses his words to build up and instead uses them to tear his children down, that can have a devastating effect on the lives of his kids. In fact, I would say this. Many people spend their whole lives trying to win their father's approval. In some instances, this continues on even after their father has passed away. He might have been dead for many years. And there you are. You're still trying to hear that attaboy. Good job. I'm proud of you from your dad. And when young girls don't receive the love and affection of their earthly dad, oftentimes that manifests itself in them looking for love and affection in the arms of other men. And young boys, it manifests itself in them trying to earn their father's love. Maybe first on the, the sports field, but later on in the business world, trying to be successful enough so that they can hear the approval of their father. Others, they just try to numb the pain of what they never got from their earthly dad, and they bury their sorrows in addictions like drugs and alcohol or pornography or whatever. And since, I, as I already mentioned, none of us have perfect fathers, I think to one degree or another, we all end up carrying around a father wound. And the point is this, if you don't allow God to come and heal that wound, it will keep you from experiencing the life that Jesus brought you into this world to experience. 
So how do we heal the father wound? And the key that unlocks the prison door that lets us out of this, this place of bondage to the wounds that we carry, it's, it's a key that is called forgiveness. And maybe you're here and you would say, but you don't know who my dad was. You don't know the man that he was. He was a monster. And I could never forgive my father, not after what he did to me or how he walked out on us. And I'm not saying it will be easy, but I'm saying this. It's not for them. It's for you. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the prison of your own heart and sets you free. And the only way you'll ever be able to move forward in life is by letting them go and forgiving them. In some ways, it's almost like that. That dad stands between you and your heavenly father, and the light of your heavenly father can't pass through him because he's blocking it. It's like that light of your heavenly father is eclipsed by your earthly father, and the way that you remove him is by extending forgiveness to him. And by the way, the place where all forgiveness is found is at the foot of Calvary's cross. One of Jesus' final statements on the cross was a cry that he directed to his father. And I want you to hear what Jesus said to his father. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about that. Jesus was abandoned and orphaned and forsaken by his heavenly father. Why? Because he wanted to bring you in. In that moment, Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world. And God, who is holy and righteous and good, couldn't bear to look at his son in that state. And so he turned his back. And to reflect this, the whole sky went dark. And the point is this. Jesus was orphaned in order that you might be welcomed in and adopted as family. And so now he's been forsaken that you might be accepted. What this does is it opens the door so that you can forgive others because you have freely been forgiven. God has forgiven you, so you must forgive. That's the, what the Bible says. Now, there's one more thing I want to bring your attention to as we consider this blessing that God speaks over his son. And, and that is this. If you fast forward to Matthew chapter 17, you'll find an almost identical scene playing out. God the Father pronounces a second blessing over his son. This time, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. He has just ascended this incredible mountain with his disciples. And there on the top of this mountain, Jesus is transfigured in the presence of Peter, James, and John. And the Bible tells us that his face shone like the brilliance of the sun. It was like lightning. And his clothing became white, whiter than you could ever bleach it with soap and water. And they saw Jesus in all of his glorified presence, the very glory of God. And we say, wow, that's cool that, that what he was and who he was shined through. And, and really, I think the bigger miracle is that he was able to contain all of that glory behind flesh and bones the rest of the time. But be that as it may, as they're there in the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God manifesting itself in the presence of Jesus, then it says there was a cloud. And out of the cloud came a voice. And the voice said, this is my son whom I love. And with him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
So at a strategic point in Jesus' ministry, the Father shows up again to pronounce his love and to confer his blessing on Jesus. Only this time, his words are directed to others, the disciples. And he adds this injunction, listen to him. And I just brought that up because I wanted to drive home this idea that once again, the Father names Jesus. He sources his identity. You're my son. But not only does he name him, he claims him. I love him. And then he affirms him and approves of him. He says, with you, I am well pleased. And then he validates his ministry. He says to others, listen to him. This guy, like, wow, he's got something to say. And this is what the father did to Jesus. But the really beautiful thought that I'll leave you with this evening is this. Because you've been adopted into the family of God, everything that God the Father spoke over Jesus, he is speaking over you tonight. You can appropriate these words. You can, you can bring them into your own heart. God sees you in Christ. Those two words, they, they kind of encapsulate everything that it means to be a Christian. You are, as a Christian, in Christ. Therefore, you get to claim the Father's favor, approval, and affection. You are his chosen one. You are his beloved son or daughter. He is pleased with you. He loves you, not because of anything you've done, mind you, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to rip you off. He wants to rob you of walking in this blessing. He wants you to experience what he experiences every moment of every day. He wants, to think, he wants you to think that you're cursed. He wants you to think that you're rejected. He wants you to think that you're unredeemable, unlovable, and unforgivable. He wants you to think that life is a ruin and that you've missed your calling and messed up your purpose and that you're beyond hope. But listen, I'm here to tell you right now that if you're in Christ, you are chosen, you are loved, you are accepted, you are blessed. The blessing of Father God rests upon your life today. You walk in the favor of God. And the, the Father, yes, 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 the Father. He wants you to live in this blessing. He wants you to walk in this blessing. He wants you to experientially know what it is to be so rooted in your identity that you're not worried about the labels that other people try to give you because you know who he says you are. He wants you to be so validated in the fact that he looks at you and says, oh, I'm so proud of you that you're not looking to earn his approval. And you don't need other people's approval because you already have the applause of heaven. He wants you to know his love, which is wider and deeper and bigger and stronger than any love that this world could ever think up or imagine. So you don't have to go looking for that love in the wells of this world because you know that you already have the love of your eternal heavenly daddy. He wants you to know that you're bought, forgiven, beloved, cherished, chosen, and wanted. He took the curse so that you could be blessed. And there are really these two pictures that you see, two experiences, two conditions of humanity that really 
defines the whole narrative of the Bible. God thinks of people in terms of cursing and blessing. And we were under a curse because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and we bore that curse. And the Bible says Jesus went to the cross and he bore the curse in our place so that we might be forgiven. <sighs> Amazing love, how could this be that you, my king, would die for me? Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you on this Father's Day weekend that we have a daddy in heaven who will never leave us, never abandon us, never forsake us. And the scriptures declare when your father and your mother forsake you, the Lord will still be there for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He'll never walk out on you. And so for many of you, I, I just feel like the Lord put this on my heart, that this is a weekend for you to be healed, to be healed in your heart of the wound that you've carried for years. And maybe you didn't even know it was there, but things that were shared tonight dredged it up and have brought it to the surface. And the pain that was inflicted upon you that has marred your understanding and your image of your heavenly father, that, that's right there. And it's palpable and it's close. And, and God's putting his finger on that wound because he wants to heal it. He, wasn't, he, he didn't create you to walk in this pain. He wants to be the father that your father couldn't be for you because all earthly fathers are marred by sin and imperfection, even the best of them. And so we need to, instead of judging our heavenly father based on the experiences we had with our earthly father, we need to turn the lens around and we need to see that we have a perfect heavenly father. And in every place where our earthly fathers failed, our heavenly father is there to pick up the slack. And so we can forgive our earthly fathers because we know that we too have been forgiven. And Jesus is wanting to touch your heart this evening. He's wanting to, to take all of the broken glass, and he's wanting to build a beautiful mosaic out of those broken shards so that now when the light shines through the broken image of your father, what you see is enhanced. The beauty that you see of your heavenly dad, it is enhanced as it shines through the broken places. Thank you, God, that you're a good God who redeems everything that we're willing to bring to you. Would you heal tonight? If that's you, if you're here and you need healing from the wounds of your father, just slip your hand up right now. I want to pray with you this evening. Amen. Amen. So many that, that carry wounds. And I, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And perhaps we can even all say it out loud. Say, dear, dear God. Thank you for being a perfect daddy, an Abba, a father. I release my earthly dad from having to pay for the ways that he wronged me, because you already paid. I forgive him. Heal my heart. Help me to see you in a new light. I love you. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.